Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Dark Mark. Today we will be discussing real-life comparisons to the dark events in this chapter, what the Crouches are up to, and the beginning of Hermione's campaign for elf rights. After the match is over, everyone heads back to their tents in high spirits, and it takes a long time for Harry to fall asleep because of all the excitement and discussions about the game. Then Harry and Ron are very abruptly woken by Arthur, who tells them to get dressed and come outside, where they see a terrifying sight. A crowd of masked wizards walking through the campsite with wands in the air, people floating above them. As the crowd gets closer, they see that the people being tortured in the air are Mr. Roberts, the muggle campsite manager, and his family. Arthur tells the kids to go into the woods and stay together. When they do, they soon run into Draco Malfoy, who insults them and tells Hermione to watch out because the mob is targeting muggles, while also implying that his parents are perhaps a part of the mob. As Harry, Ron, and Hermione hurry up to catch up with the rest of the Weasleys, Harry loses his wand in the darkness and confusion. Soon after, they run into some strange sights. Winky, alone, but running away as if someone is trying to hold her back. Goblins happily holding a sack of gold, a group of wizards trying to impress some Vila, and a very distressed little bagman who the trio have to notify about the chaos at the campsite. After some more walking, Harry thinks he hears someone nearby, shortly before someone with a deep voice casts a spell and a giant green glittering skull and snake symbol appears in the sky. The dark mark, Voldemort's symbol, as Hermione quickly explains. The trio are suddenly surrounded by ministry wizards, attempting to stun them and question them about the mark. After finally being pointed to the clearing where they heard the spell cast, Amos Diggory discovers Winky, stunned and holding a wand. Confusion and argument then ensues. Harry discovers that the wand Winky is holding is his own that he lost earlier. Winky is revived and, terrified, confesses to picking up the wand, but insists that she did not do any magic with it. The trio, especially Hermione, defend Winky, and despite Amos Diggory's reluctance, Winky is allowed to be taken by Mr. Crouch to be dealt with. Although most of the wizards agree that Winky probably didn't conjure the Dark Mark, Mr. Crouch still tells her he is going to give her clothes, aka fire her, as punishment for her disobedience. Hermione suddenly becomes indignant about how self writes, and they all go back to the tent to discuss what happened. The masked wizards, we learn, are Death Eaters, Voldemort supporters. And it is noted that the Dark Mark, which is a sign that meant Voldemort or his followers had killed, has not been seen for 13 years. They prepare to head home early, and Harry wonders whether the person who conjured the Mark did it to show support for the Death Eaters or to scare them. That's good. <clears throat> I added that last point. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so this is maybe the darkest, scariest chapter so far yeah. in the series, I think. Pretty, I mean, there's there's times where we feel more scared for Harry's life earlier yeah. on, but this is objectively the scariest. Um, I also think this idea, when I was reading it this time, of going into the forest 
is very interesting because this is a different forest, but I think in my head I almost imagine it as the Forbidden Forest yeah, yeah. because that's the only other time we really go into forests like this. And that's like the default forest for the Harry Potter universe Yeah, it's the like, Forbidden Forest. And yeah, everyone's like there from school, like Draco's there, you mm. know, so it's all this kind of weird, we had this sense that... They probably a- filmed it at the same set as well. <laughs> right. Um, we have a sense that it's just... Uh, a forest that's very big but also has a lot of room for people to be around and it's almost like it's this sort of social scene when they're going in Mm -hmm. this time but um it's very scary it's dark and it seems like you know when they're separated like they don't know what's going to happen to the people that they're not with this is a very different type of emotional environment for the series to go into Mm -hmm. because previously when there have been scary moments and and scary chapters it's all been sort of horror, and we've talked about that before right, on the podcast, right. especially in the Chamber of Secrets book and and episode. Um, it's it's more like horror. There's body horror. There's like monster horror. Um, there's a lot of horror that kind of summons up this idea that like there's otherworldly stuff that you don't really understand. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not that though. This is just like people, people yeah. being horrible, and it, and it's chaotic and it's messy and it's people are screaming and there's chaos everywhere. Um, no one has any idea what's going on and everyone's just trying to kind of hold it together. Um, it's a very, very different emotional environment and it's not something that we've ever seen before. The Ministry of Magic sort of embodies order up to this point. Mm -hmm. We think of it Mm -hmm. as being like the Ministry has everything under control and even when they make really stupid decisions as they do in Chamber of Secrets Mm -hmm. and elsewhere, it's like they still at least are maintaining some semblance of order, whereas here completely chaotic yeah totally out of control it's when you said that about the um horror like supernatural kind of elements before it's like the even dementors that we just experienced in the last book it's almost like this is a weird parallel to dementors because these are these hooded like Mm. figures that are you know not dementors but are are humans that you can't tell what they're doing and they're all in a group and they're doing something scary and so it's almost like this evolution from what the Dementors were to this, um, which is yeah. actual people, you know. They're kind of like turning themselves into monster figures. Yeah. By by removing their own identities. Yeah, it's interesting. I I wonder if at some level the Death Eaters pull inspiration from Dementors on like an archetypal level. Right. It's like soul sucking. Yeah. You know, they feed on emotion and, and your fear and they prevent you from being able to experience happy memories. I mean, there's it's not 100% parallels, sure, but, but like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so of course there's a lot of real-life comparisons that, that we can use and that have been talked about in the past about... Um, about Death Eaters. Death Eaters and this event in particular um, yeah. and these things. So we have, like, KKK, um, other white supremacist groups, uh, things like that, um, especially with the hoods and the sort of nighttime mm-hmm. fire-type situation that is really, you know, brings up those memories um nazis like holocaust i mean there's all all the bad stuff we can kind of compare to but i think you know the especially the idea that these are muggles which to them are you know sort of an inferior race quote unquote um the nazis called them yeah so this is would be like black people or jews or anyone that any of those groups would target um in this case, and it's interesting that we have Hermione, you know, we can talk a little more about Hermione's role in this, but she, 
you know, Draco is, is threatening her and kind of joking, but also serious. Like, you are, you know, of mixed blood, like mud blood, quote unquote. Like, you, you know, you sort of, you know, may or may not escape this situation in in theory is what he's saying. Right, but he's not trying to warn her. He's no, just, no. He's just taunting her. He's just taunting her. He's not trying to prevent her. And obviously this is a situation where they are... They are doing this. the The Death Eaters are doing this for to make a statement, to make a scene, and they're not actually, I don't think, going to every tent and seeing if there's any, uh, you know, mixed blood muggles there. But right, the threat right. is that that could happen, and that 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 has happened, uh-huh. especially in the past. Um, and so this is very reminiscent of um, what thirteen years ago, or when Valdemar's reign was happening. Yeah. Um. And and this event within the context of the wizarding world is is confusing and surprising to a lot of people um and and as we're going to see one of the people who it infuriates the most is a loyal Voldemort supporter mm-hmm. who is basically appalled that these people who lied and cheated and gave each other up to stay out of prison after Voldemort's downfall are so proud right um of their like anti-muggle political position and and terrorism um and he's like how can you live with yourselves for selling out everything that you believed in like i'm a true believer i went to prison for what i believed Mm -hmm. in um and here you are just like partying and like having fun torturing muggles like you should you should be living in fear for the rest of your lives because you turned your back on voldemort right it's very it's very strange yeah Yeah. it is strange we'll get more to who that is and what's happening but just thinking about all you know that person as well as the other adults basically in this scenario it was like mm-hmm. how kind of traumatizing and like re or re-traumatizing this is um like that arthur discussed and molly discussed and people other people discuss later more about like you don't understand what this meant for us to see the dark mark was like seeing knowing that people you love were going to be killed knowing that you were in danger like this this is a scene that we used to live with daily and is now um mm-hmm. we thought was past so they're very you know very much on alert even much more than the kids are and it's in a lot of ways it's a harbinger mm-hmm. of things to come right like the death eaters are becoming bolder right um they're starting to actually act out they feel like enough time has passed that people have become complacent now mm-hmm. in many ways they're right um the ministry puts up almost no resistance at first to Voldemort's overtaking um but yeah, it it's not just a harbinger of things to come, but of where the series is going. Yes, yes. It's it's Rowling kind of saying to us, like, it's not fun and games anymore. It's not Harry's fun time at school. Um, now it's like real world political terrorism mm-hmm. coming to you from the pages of this Harry Potter book. And um, I'm pretty sure this book was published in 2001, prior to the September 11th attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but that must have felt, um, in a lot of ways, very um, coincidental and 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 on topic for that time, like political terrorism being used as a tool, um, and then like how countries respond to that, how governments respond to that, how individuals respond to it, um, and you know hate begets hate and all that stuff. So like, but even then, even in two thousand and one, like twenty years later, I feel like this hits so differently. This particular scene, yeah, it does. Um, whereas like twenty years ago. You know, there was political violence and there was political terrorism um, at home and abroad, but it was never like people were not like proud of like publicly 
declaring their support for that sort of ideology mm-hmm. in the same way that they are now. Like back then I, when I was a child, but I felt like it was laughable to think that like out and out racists would like parade in public and chant things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like torture people in public and, and be like very proud about the fact that they were racists. Um, now it's a very real scenario that happens occasionally. It's very, it's, well, it's common. It's happening with, with individuals, with small groups. And then, you know, we, the Capitol riots and all these things that mm-hmm. happen, like the, I, to me, that's much more parallel than even like a nine eleven situation because I agree. it's it's an inside job here. There's like these are, you know, <laughs> when we think about like the nine eleven is not an inside job. Sorry, <laughs> I cut that slightly out. misleading. Um, I'm gonna leave that in because it's funny. Okay, um, but the situation of you know Americans, quote unquote, like people, basically, yeah. um, in this case, like white people are coming out and saying hi we're here and this is what we're doing is this is what we care about this is what we want to do to people in our own country and um this is what's happening here um although they they are you know masked like the kkk here they're like we're not we're not gonna show ourselves we're not gonna go that far but we are doing this in front of thousands of people um yeah and we are fine with that, and we feel like we have enough power to do that, which is scary. It seems like there's enough of them that they feel that it's okay to do, or that they won't be, um, they won't really be threatened. Yeah, I mean, consider the fact that like this was a crowd of a hundred thousand wizards theoretically gathered at this area, mm-hmm. small area. So it's like a, a city congregated mm-hmm. at like a set of campsites, essentially. Um, and somehow there was a riot of. I would guess probably between a hundred and a thousand people that didn't get broken up until roughly an hour later when the dark mark was fired into the and sky. And it seemed like, you know, it says like some people were laughing and joining, yeah. you know, so that you see that it's like a crowd that is like growing as they move through the campsite. It's mm-hmm. not just like this small crew that then everybody else wasn't into it. There were some people yeah, there were supporters in the that crowd. were joining that thought it was funny that wanted to be in the mob. And so... That's also scary, and that's what they're seeing as as it gets closer to yeah. our, our characters. So I think there's a couple really topical points to hit here. One is that like with time and distance from atrocities of the past, people do become complacent about the horrors of, of racism and especially of white supremacy and that type of ideology. And we're seeing that today. You know, it's been... You know, I mean, these atrocities still happen all the time, but but we've gotten enough distance from things like the rise of Adolf Hitler and the Holocaust that like people are now starting to pretend like that didn't happen or like forget how horrible it was. Um, and, and those ideologies are popping back up again. So that's one aspect of it that I think Rowling is like accurately pointing out. It happens here and it happens in our society as well. And one thing we can think about is that the, the we can continue to talk about, especially throughout um, this book and is the next is that um, how, how people sort of like ex Nazis, I guess, in, for lack of a better comparison, are um, are treated, are allowed to be integrated back into society. You mm-hmm. know, even even Snape, which is a complicated character, we'll discuss later, and uh, other characters we see in this book, like Karkaroff and Lucius, and these things that people that are known and mm-hmm. thought to be perhaps reformed or whatever, but they're very. Um, you know they're not all in prison and they're they're allowed to be there and it's sort of like we're all okay with it now and you know that is i think something to kind of track on throughout the rest of 
the series because I yeah. think like thinking about how you know we we all enable those kinds of things to continue um and the like forgiveness we have for some people and not others is interesting and I think that is something we can think about especially towards the end of this book of like what happens to um you know our main villain versus what happens to other people that may be enabled him mm-hmm. yeah it's a good point i think there are there are parallels obviously you know rowling's main parallel is between voldemort and hitler um and this is kind of like a you know exploring the idea that hitler could come back and and you know reemerge as a global threat um but like you know in wizards mm-hmm. form instead of uh germans but like the the what happened to the post-war government of germany not just the fact that it was split into east and west but in west germany like nazis remained in power at every level of government for the next 25 years because that's what the government was if you had thrown out all the nazis there would have been no government there Mm -hmm. would have been no people who were qualified to lead any of those positions basically which you know i i would still be in favor of locking all those people up anyway but the situation that west germany faced in that moment was do we want to have no functional government at all and lock up all the people that deserve it? Or do we want to just kind of quietly allow some of the less bad people to remain in power? Yeah, and that's what happens and seems to have happened in the ministry. And that's what seems to have happened here, too. So it's kind of uh, another parallel in that way where they just all kind of look the other way and say, oh, Lucius, you know, very old family, donates to a lot of good causes, um, ex-Nazi, but um, we don't talk about that, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And and if you talk to Lucius Malfoy for five minutes, you would know that he is not reformed. Mm-hmm. He's still a Nazi, but he just basically puts on appearances for people like Fudge. So another very small scene that's kind of played for, definitely played for laughs. Played for laughs, In definitely. this um, not very laugh-filled chapter is um, the scene where we see a bunch of wizards, including Stan Shunpike, who... Harry identifies and knows, and which is part of the humor, um, trying to impress a group of Vila that are in the woods. You know, they're all presumably mm-hmm. hiding from this situation. Um, and the Vila seem to be sort of, you know, humoring them, or maybe they're just there and they feel stuck, but they're, you know, they're standing they there. They seem to be enjoying themselves. They're, they're kind of like laughing at the feeble attempts by these wizards to pretend like they're really important. Yeah, so everybody, the, the what they're doing is saying, like, you know, all the stuff that happens, uh, happened during the match, like, I am the Minister of Magic, I am a vampire hunter, I'm, like, trying to impress them, basically, which yeah. is what happens, and, Ron um, says that he invented a broomstick that'll reach Jupiter. Yeah, so it's those kinds of things that are happening, and, um, I know we had, we had different, um, parallels for, or, um, metaphors for the Vila last chapter, but I think, um, you had an idea about maybe what the magic of the Vila is mm. like. Yeah, so this is the same book where we get introduced to the Imperious Curse, which controls somebody's actions in sort of a dreamlike state. And and the way that it's described, I felt, was very similar to the way that the Vila um, affecting Harry is described last chapter. So I wondered whether maybe their magic is, is a similar kind of thing to the Imperious Curse. And another example that I have of both of those things, not only do both of those types of magic seem to affect Ron much more than they do Harry, which we do see here, um, and we see that throughout the book where Ron is um, both affected by the Imperious Curse in Moody's classes and by Fleur Delacour. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but also Stan Shunpike, who is very affected by the Vila in this scene, ends up under the Imperious Curse um, by the Death Eaters in a future book. 
Um, and Harry feels bad about potentially mm-hmm. killing him because he's like, he's not in his right mind. So maybe it, it's either, if it's not the same magic, it's clearly the same like class of magic mm-hmm. where it's like mm-hmm. you exert control over someone's will and then you can kind of control their actions through that. And when, what's, what we don't really know is um, are the Vila, can they turn it on and off or is it just that's magic that emanates from them that um, anytime, like they just can't help it and- yeah people that are around them are going to it does seem to be controllable to some extent because when we and we can talk about this more in detail with fleur's scenes later but fleur does seem to like have certain moments where she like turns it on and it like radiates from her and like boys heads start to just like turn yeah yeah um and then sometimes where it's more passive and it's just like wow she's beautiful and i guess during the match like you know they did their performance but then they did like break the spell and in some mm-hmm. context or they, they stopped yeah. even though they were still physically there so but but at one point they like intentionally tried to mess with the ref right by right. like getting his attention um and then someone had to go kick him in the shins i love that scene it's yeah. very funny <laughs> so this is um this chapter really is where the the mystery of the book begins um the first chapter i think is where it really starts but um here is where harry is kind of introduced to it more formally um and the seven chapters in between are kind of not filler but are are um preamble and and Mm -hmm. enjoyable in that way um so the first mystery we really get introduced to here is who conjured the dark mark and why Mm -hmm. um and i think we don't really have enough information to um land on any suspect yet which Mm -hmm. i think is clever writing um, because the character who it ends up being has not really been introduced in any context. Yeah. Um, but we can kind of guess at what might be happening, even if we don't know who it is. And we have some red herrings. So who who are some of the red herrings that we're led to believe it might be? Well, Bagman um, seems shifty. Definitely. In, and he was seen in the area like right before that. Yeah. And so... We know what's actually going on with him is that he was dealing with goblin gambling stuff. Yeah. Or let, that's what we assume. He's in a lot of debt. Um, But he was clearly, like, dealing with that so, to the point where he was so distracted that he... He had no idea about the riots. He had no idea about the riots. Then uh, we assume that he disapparates and goes to the riots, but then he comes back and he's like, whoa, the Dark Mark, like, what's happening? So he seems to be, like, too behind for it to really make sense. Mm-hmm. Um. Same with Crouch. I mean, back to the chapter titled Bagman and Crouch. Like, they're both suspicious characters at this point. So Crouch... um, Crouch, For very different reasons. Bagman because he's so lax. Crouch because he's so uptight, right? So Crouch Sr. um, is... We don't... We have just not seen him at the match. And Winky says she's saving him a seat, but he never comes. Um, We don't see him any time after that. And then he appears... um, basically with with the group of ministry people yeah. in this moment mm-hmm. so we assume that he we can sort of assume oh maybe i guess he was just like in his tent and then he also came out when this was happening but we we don't exactly know what he has been doing right during this time that's true um so i'd say those are probably the main um and of course winky would be a red herring right winky is a big red herring i think um you know, possibly, like, Amos Diggory could be another red herring just because of how hmm. um, intense he is against Winky in this moment. I think, you know, partly that's his his job or that's what he, he feels his job is yeah. in this moment. But 
Um, he's another sort of, like, slightly asshole character that we've met that we're not sure what his what his deal is. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, though, that we're, we're, at this point, we're supposed to be not really thinking that anybody that we know has done it because yeah. they don't recognize the voice at all. No. It's described as, like, a deep voice, and Harry is kind of confused. He's like, well, nobody that was there had that voice, so I don't know who it could have been. Right, and nobody, uh, it seems very clear, especially after the description that whoever it was did disoperate and, like, did not come back and is not, not nearby in any way. Yeah, so that's one of the theories that the Ministry people have. Like, maybe they cast a spell and then disoperated right away. Mm -hmm. But, uh, like, Amos Stiggery and some other people seem to think that, like, well, our stunner spells, like, went right through the area where they were, so we probably got them. Mm -hmm. Um... But what we don't really think of is Invisibility Cloak. Right. Which is interesting because, you know, our main character uses one all the time. But uh, it's not something that we've considered that other characters might have access to. And this is really the first example we yeah. have of that happening. Kind of first and last as well. Like, I mean, we, we find yeah. out more about Harry's Invisibility Cloak, but we really don't, you know, it, it's definitely, even after this book, it is like, hey, this is a really rare thing. So it's it's not something that we would consider but let's go into a little bit what is actually happening sure so first um what wh- the person who actually conjured the mark is barty crouch jr crouch's son um so he stole harry's wand at the match he was sitting up in the, in the top box with winky um and then when winky looked like she was struggling running through the forest he was trying to get back to the rioters and like curse them out or something and he's mm. under the invisibility cloak um, but she pulls him into the woods. So in his frustration at being pulled into the woods, he just conjures the dark mark. And then they both get stunned by the ministry wizards. Winky was not under the invisibility cloak is discovered with Harry's dropped wand, which she picked up because mm-hmm. she didn't want it to be discovered in her master's hand mm-hmm. instead. He, Crouch Jr., is under the invisibility cloak. So, and. yeah. So then what happens is that Crouch Sr., after Winky is discovered, he like goes and investigates and he finds his son's stunned body under the invisibility cloak and he's like okay i know what happened here um and then he makes a very weird decision he decides to dismiss winky yes so what are we meant to believe is happening with that and what is he actually doing well we're meant to believe because and it works because we've now seen him as very uptight and strict so Mm -hmm. we're meant to believe that he this is just you know too embarrassing to him to have this scandal with his house elf and even if he doesn't believe she did it he's like you were you know you were you brought shame on us yeah you brought shame on us you disobeyed me you're causing problems you were you know you ran away and you caused these issues and so now this is i told you to remain in the tent yeah (laughs) and she's like i'm scared you know which was true but she was also you know with his son she was also yeah, supposed to prevent the son from doing anything stupid. Yeah, it is interesting. So I think that the Crouch Senior is making a decision here because he feels like if he doesn't do this, it's going to be more suspicious, which I don't think is necessarily hmm, that's true. That's an interesting take. But I think that that is what he's feeling because he he probably, you know, I think a lot of his uptightness at this moment is him being very anxious about the fact that his son is there. Yes. And, you know, that throughout this whole, ter- uh, the yeah. whole tournament that the son's there. So I think that um, he sort of assumes that people are going to be more suspicious of him 
and thinking about things that than they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he probably doesn't think anyone's specifically suspecting that his son is there, but I think that he is worried that it will draw suspicion to him and his family. And why was Winky there at all being weird? Why was she, why would she steal a wand? It doesn't make sense. So I think he's trying to say like, she's bad. She's the problem. Um, I'm going to fire her. She's just crazy. Okay. Sort of like blaming her for everything instead yeah. of having suspicion fall on him. Yeah. And it kind of works. It's a good misdirection because it gets everybody upset about the fact that Winky's being fired. Mm-hmm. Um, especially Hermione, who then doesn't really think about what Crouch's motives are. Um, cause she kind of buys that story. I think it's, it's also maybe a calculation of like, um, yeah, maybe, maybe it's just that he can blame her for it in front of everybody else. But he also is like, secretly very upset that she like potentially betrayed one of their closest family secrets and one of the things that i had on on our notes here is like why does winky lie to amos diggory about what's happening like house elves aren't supposed to lie unless they were commanded to Mm -hmm. and so it's obvious you know going back to this after we've read it a few times that like she was told by mr crouch senior like never reveal any of our family secrets never reveal Anything about my son being alive or being there with you, being under the invisibility click, you can't reveal any of that. So she has to just, like, make up She these... has permission to lie about him being, yeah. you know, in the box at the match and about mm-hmm. this situation. So she's clearly very nervous, but, right, she, yeah. she can do it without hurting herself. And she, like, stammers her way through every single lie. Mm-hmm. And you can always tell when she's lying because she's so nervous about it. Um, but she does. And... Um, and actually, she probably doesn't lie about where she found Harry's wand because that tracks. Like mm-hmm. she, she picked it up right after you know her master's son dropped it. Um, so she said she found it there in the clearing. Um, and then they they basically have the theory. The Ministry Wizards like, okay, so the person who conjured it um, conjured the mark, dropped the wand, disapparated, and then Winky happened upon it seconds later. Yeah. Um, so she would have been feet from them, and Winky's like, "Yep, that's what happened." <laughs> yep. Anyway. Don't question me further, please. And um, the fact that she is uh, house elf, like, I mean, this is part of the sort of whole, like, house elf rights thing that will continue is, like, the fact that she is a house elf is, like, well, she's, you know, objectively stupid. She wouldn't, you know, a lot of things can be dismissed. If this was even, like, a child, like, a human wizarding child, like, I think it, there would be a lot more questioning and a lot more, like, but there was definitely someone there. You would have had to hear them. You would have had to see them. Mm-hmm. But because she's in house elf, they're like, okay, she's like a mess. She's a house elf. She was terrified and she just like ran away and she grabbed a wand and whatever. She's weird, you know? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it it yeah, doesn't it... make, it still doesn't make sense. And people are, because of all the chaos, I think Crouch, Crouch Sr., I mean, both of them, but Crouch Sr. has a um, kind of advantage here because there's so much chaos and everyone's under so much stress that... Mm-hmm. They're not going to question all the details of that scenario. And I think him firing her just makes it more solid in everyone's mind. They're like, okay, this is a red herring. This is not her anyway. Like, let's go deal with the rest of this stuff. Yeah. And they kind of just come to the conclusion eventually that whoever did it must have um, disappeared. So they got away. We, we didn't get them. Um, but that doesn't seem to satisfy a lot of their critics, as we'll discuss next chapter. Um, but one thing that I do want to point out is that, like, Crouch dismissing Winky ends up being the biggest mistake that he makes in this book. Yeah, that's because true. Because she seemed to have been the only thing preventing um, 
what follows uh, behind the scenes next chapter is essentially that um, like Peter Pettigrew pays them a visit, puts Crouch Sr. under the Imperius curse and releases Crouch Jr. from his Imperius curse um, so that he's free to then do everything that Voldemort needs him to do this book. Right. Um, but if Winky had been there, um, odds are Voldemort would have underestimated her as he always underestimates other non-magic or other magical non-wizard creatures Mm -hmm. um and that she would have been able to put a stop to that um possibly foiling his entire plan so it's it's actually very significant that he dismisses her in this chapter okay so this incident with winky that her dismissal and her treatment and how she's been treated the past few days since they met her um really starts her money on her elf rights campaign the start of spew spw so this is a huge plot line and a really one that is usually uh it's treated as a joke treated as a joke for most of the series Uh, very very dismissed by harry and ron especially ron um yeah it's it's really like let's you know all be mean to hermione about how not important this is especially because all these other things are going on um but i think that we should you know kind of take it seriously throughout the series and see what what Hermione gets right and what she doesn't in terms of her kind of trying to start this like social justice movement or um, this organization because you know she is right that house elves are mistreated and um, that the system that's set up for them to be in slavery is bad and there's a lot of you know brainwashing and things that go on and we see especially Dobby uh, but even Winky that like has you know has intelligence and has her own agency if she would be allowed to have it. So um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, questions later about, like, do these do these beings want to be helped? Do they not want to be helped? Um, is Why is Hermione putting so much energy into this? Yeah. Um, but I do think it's interesting and we should we should take it take it seriously when it's treated as a joke throughout the rest of the book. Absolutely. I I think, you know, there's a lot to be said about suffragette Hermione and her whole trajectory with Spew and and with elf rights. I think you can generalize it and say that she cares about any group that's being marginalized Mm -hmm. and that um, the house elves are a very, you know, um, convenient metaphor or allegory for um, our own uh, marginalized groups in our society. Mm -hmm. and, And Rowling is kind of ironically saying like we should be supporting these people and and holding them up and not um keep stepping on them even if they say that that's what they want you know we need to even push them a little bit and say like no you should get more rights Mm -hmm. um and and that's what hermione campaigns to do a lot of the time when she's lobbying she's lobbying the house elves to to sort of take up arms and fight this fight themselves and organize but you know, she gets a lot of pushback from them because they're not really ready as a society for that yet. It, yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, I think, it, I think you're right. I think it is um, brainwashing that has been done over the centuries by wizards to make house elves culturally appreciate slavery and, and have that as part of their identity that we like being slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's a lot that needs to be done to undo that. But the microcosm that is Dobby and, and then creatures, I think, a much better microcosm mm-hmm. of this because Dobby already starts out as kind of a rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, but but especially creature who starts out as this like horrible, mean spirited house elf who's been abused his entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, when Harry like treats him well at Hermione's behest, kind of like in spite of the fact that he blames 
mm-hmm. creature for Sirius's death and all this stuff. Like creature's redemption. Yeah. Is that like he becomes an actual friend and ally to Harry. He's like as soon as he was treated well, yeah, by his new master, he was like, "Oh, it's like a new awakening, mm-hmm. you know. It's like a whole new person was born." And there's a lot of like a compare like sort of white savior ideas that come up with with Hermione and with others and related to house elves. Yeah. But I also think that especially because of Rowling's, you know, problematic life and takes at this point, mm-hmm. um, we should we should push against as as much as we can, like the humor around this and think about, you know, yes, yes, what you're writing here is is true and let's actually like dive into it instead yeah. of dismissing it as a joke, which I think, you know, it it maybe is ultimately portrayed as in some ways but i think it does take itself seriously when it matters um and and i think there is there is a point to be made that sometimes hermione is seen as a joke mm-hmm. in this context but her we, we, it's easy to forget like this isn't coming from nowhere this is coming from hermione's own identity as a marginalized person within the society yeah as a muggle-born witch who is incredibly talented and is um you know, marginalized in spite of all of her talent, um, and is and is criticized by people for something that she has no control over. Um, this is she identifies with the downtrodden yeah. and the oppressed, and that's why she's crusading this way. It's not just because she feels like it; it's it's from her own experiences too. Yeah. Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and the Dark Mark. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially the whole saga around Winky, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we try to sort our way through Chapter 10, Mayhem at the Ministry. I'm Madeline. And I'm David. And we'll see you next time on the Harry Podcast. Knox.